And remember, our Lord promised us this. He promised us that the world would hate us if we were true to him. San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione speaking at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. He gave us the last beatitude, both in Matthew's version and Luke's version, that we're to rejoice when they ridicule us and utter evil against us unjustly. We're to rejoice. The apostles in the Acts, they rejoiced that they were able to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. So it's up to us to keep the flame of faith and true alive in the darkness. The truth cannot be suppressed. Let us be witnesses of that. You can watch and listen to Archbishop Cordelione's presentation, Making the Case for Speaking the Truth to Power, and all of the teachings from this year's conference for a donation of $300 by Labor Day. It's available via on-demand video streaming or podcast. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call, 618-223-8385. Fewer of us can remember a time in the United States when there wasn't no-fault divorce, where one person could simply say, I'm done. There used to be a time when you actually had to take that to court and you had to show some kind of fault to get a divorce. So how has our view of marriage changed with no-fault divorce? How has it been in some ways a financial boon to women and to men, but men end up much less happy after a no-fault divorce? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Friday, August the 4th, Dr. Scott Yenner joins us to talk about no-fault divorce. He's professor of political science at Boise State University, senior director of state coalitions at the Claremont Institute Center for the American Way of Life. He's author of the book, The Recovery of Family Life, Exposing the Limits of Modern Ideologies, and a recent column for the Institute for Family Studies titled Challenging the No-Fault Divorce Regime. Dr. Yenner, welcome back. Thanks for having me on. What is no-fault divorce? No-fault divorce is at-will, one-party divorce. What that means is that one party, the husband or wife, can at any time, for no reason or for any reason, simply leave the marriage and call it a divorce with the blessing of public authorities. This is understood in contradistinction to what you would call fault divorce, which means that if a couple is going to be divorced, one, let's say a husband, must prove that his wife has committed some sort of fault that makes it legitimate to break the contract. A fault such as adultery or abandonment or drug abuse or some sort of fatal lie that was made at the beginning of the marriage. And what has happened over the course of American history is that America, until 1969 about, had a fault-based conception of divorce so that courts would have to validate that one party was at fault and therefore the divorce could be granted. But since then, we've had the no-fault divorce regime where courts don't necessarily have to get involved, but one party can just leave for whatever reason that party chooses. So what is the relationship between at least the perceived strength of marriage and the ease of divorce? All great civilizational founders, all great religious founders have had a conception of marriage 
And one of the ways they buckle marriage together, that is, they buckle a husband and a wife together, is they put forward rules about how marriage ends. And the harder it is to get out of marriage, the tighter and the more long-lasting the marriage would be thought to be. And this is very interesting in the Gospels, because the Jews allowed men to divorce their wives quite easily without any real reason. But Jesus says, in the beginning it was not so. That is, a man and a wife became one, and marriage was kind of difficult to get, if not impossible to get, and marriage was thought to be indissoluble. So the tightness or the community that marriage manifests is almost always informed by the public conception and the religious conception of how marriage can end. You mentioned this before, but why was divorce made difficult before no-fault divorce came on the scene? Divorce was difficult under American laws, state laws, um, you know, until the early 1970s, really, because the founders and American lawmakers thought it was in the interest of the public and in the interest of the individuals to draw the bonds of marriage close together. So that marriage could achieve its public purpose, which is having kids and raising them to honorable adulthood. So there's a real public reason that all the great founders have treated divorce in their marriage laws. And I think it's related directly to the idea that children need mothers and fathers, and that's why you founded an American law. When and why did states begin to adopt no-fault divorce? No-fault divorce was adopted almost as a bureaucratic measure, without much thought given to how it would change the nature of marriage. And what I mean by that is that courts having to deal with fault-based divorce end up being kind of busy adjudicating the private decisions of husbands and wives to get divorced. And many people in the judiciary thought that it was beneath their dignity to be involved in such he said, she said situations. So they wanted to find a way of backing out. So they adopted no-fault divorce. But that also like ignores the larger context, because in the late 1960s and early 70s, is one of the high tides of modern feminism, and modern feminists thought that no-fault divorce would be necessary to secure women in their independence, that is, to cultivate a spirit of independence from the family, because if marriage was destabilized, women and men would sink less of their identity into marriage. So the people who were conducting the actual adoption of no-fault divorce had kind of a narrow-minded bureaucratic mindset, but that mindset should not be divorced from the larger context of sexual revolution and modern feminism, which I think provides the real impetus for judges being willing to shirk off the bureaucratic obstacles to divorce. What effect did no-fault divorce have on the divorce rate? 
Yeah, the divorce rate went up. I mean, I actually don't have the precise numbers right in front of me right now, but we went from something like this ratio is going to be roughly correct. We went from one divorce to five divorces. It went up just exponentially, especially during the early 70s and through the mid-80s. The divorce rate was very high. Interestingly, and this has happened all over the Western world, the divorce rate actually has gone down since the mid-1980s. Most of the reason for that is fewer people get married. They live together instead of marrying. So another effect of no-fault divorce is the rise of alternatives to marriage as a way of organizing relationships in the modern world. How does no-fault divorce incentivize divorce for women? Well, no-fault divorce comes with questions, and the questions are who gets what, and who gets property, who gets support, and who gets the children. And with no-fault divorce, there were regulations that were passed in most states that were pretty female-friendly, by which I mean women got long-term spousal support or alimony, depending on what you want to call it, The standard for who gets the children was often thought to be or said to be whoever should have it in the best interest of the children. And what happened kind of informally is that the tendency was to grant women custody of children and to grant women long-term spousal support so that their husband's wages were garnished. As a result, Almost from the inception of no-fault divorce, women have filed for somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of all divorces because it is thought it is in the economic and psychological interests of women to leave the family. There's actually incentives they can get paid and still have the children without having the husband around if they file for no-fault divorce. You have no-fault divorce, and then you have the standards that uh, handle or manage the divorcing of two people that were bent in the direction of female interests. And that's why females, at least that's the reasoning I would adopt, have filed for so many more divorces than males over the course of time. What effects has no-fault divorce had on men? I would say that when you look at the statistics on this, the studies, The studies show that men do better financially after divorce, that is, they earn more money, but they are less happy. And they're often very alienated from their children. And, you know, these are pretty consistent findings through all the countries that have no-fault divorce. Is no-fault divorce in the best interest of children? Well, divorce generally is not in the best interest of children. Studies show that children of divorce do worse financially. They are less able to hold down jobs. They're more likely to commit crime. They're kind of caught between two worlds if there's a kind of joint custody because the husband and wife, the ex-husband and ex-wife, have different standards for their kids. The kids learn to exploit this. Children themselves don't have as much of a commitment to marry when they're the product of divorce. So it starts a vicious cycle of non-marital life. 
so yeah, tons of social pathologies, including the decline of a marriage culture, are products of no-fault divorce. Are there any states that are beginning to back off no-fault divorce? Well, not too many states are willing to take on the no-fault divorce regime head-on. But a couple of states have dealt with the breakup of the no-fault divorce couples. So one state that has done this, for instance, is Kentucky, where Kentucky has adopted rules that the default position of a divorce couple is that child custody will be split 50-50. So no-fault divorce isn't touched, but the decision rules of how you're going to handle that divorce is being touched. And another element or another thing that is happening is that states are revisiting the question of alimony, and they're reducing the amount of money and the term under which a dependent spouse would get it. And this has happened in Florida, where Florida has changed the default alimony rules and ended permanent alimony. Florida has also adopted the 50-50 default child custody rule. So what these states are doing is that they're changing the incentive structure that leads women to file for so many of the no-fault divorces. And my logic here is that if you change the incentive structure, you're going to remove the incentive for women to file for divorce under the no-fault regime, and you might get fewer divorces. Is there any going back from no-fault divorce? Is it a permanent feature now of our legal system and our family system? Well, I don't know that it's a permanent feature of our legal system. I mean, everything seems permanent until it stops, right? We all thought that abortion on demand was going to be a permanent feature of our constitutional system. And 50 years after it was adopted in Roe versus Wade, we got the Dobbs decision, which removed it from the constitutional fabric. A similar thing, I think, must happen in the case of no-fault divorce if we're going to have a recovery of family life. And I don't consider it a permanent feature. As I say, everything is permanent until it isn't. And nothing is permanent in politics. There's a kind of cycle that can happen as the problems in, in this case, no-fault divorce, become manifest. Fewer people practice it. And as fewer people practice it, by which I mean marriage, society has reaches a crisis point. And then when it reaches a crisis point, people start to say, well, maybe we should move in the other direction and tighten up the marital relationship. So I don't think there's anything permanent about this. It's just that under the conditions we have now, no-fault divorce isn't going to change. But as those conditions change, I think the laws will be revisited. Dr. Scott Yenner is professor of political science at Boise State University. He's senior director of state coalitions at the Claremont Institute's Center for the American Way of Life. He's author of the book, The Recovery of Family Life, Exposing the Limits of Modern Ideologies, and a recent column for the Institute for Family Studies titled Challenging the No-Fault Divorce Regime. You can read it and purchase The Recovery of Family Life at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Dr. Yenner, thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Pastor Ted Geese joins us on the other side. We're going to review the movies Barbie and Oppenheimer.
I like that we get to talk about these things and we hit it from a different angle, but because we love each other and because we have the same religious views, you know, church is the centerpiece of our lives. Worship is the centerpiece of our lives. Molly Hemingway speaking at the Issues Etc. Making the Case conference. So when we are just going back and forth on politics, it's really not that important relative to the things that do matter. In all seriousness, if you do not have someone in your life that you both completely trust and regularly engage in arguments with, you're doing it wrong. You can watch and listen to journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway's Q&A and all of the presentations from the 2023 Making the Case Conference for a contribution of $300 by Labor Day. We'll send you links to download a podcast or watch a video stream. Order today at issuesetc.org or by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Where Christianity meets culture, you're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next purchase by using the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858.